Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're going to continue our study. The more things change, uh, the more they stay the same. Before we get started, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories uh, talking about having problems. Hopefully, I'm going to get you to smile a little bit tonight. Uh, these are some stories that I just read and, and pulled up and printed out to read to you. Uh, here's a news story. Fire authorities in California found a corpse in a burned-out section of forest while assessing the damage done by a forest fire. The deceased male was dressed in a full wetsuit, complete with scuba tanks on his back, flippers, and face mask. A post-mortem autopsy revealed that the man died not from burns, but from massive internal injuries. Dental records provided a positive identification. Investigators then set about to determine how a fully clothed diver ended up in the middle of a forest fire. It was revealed in the investigation that on the day of the fire, the man went diving off the coast, some 20 miles from the forest fire. The firefighters, seeking to control the fire as quickly as possible, called in a fleet of helicopters with those large dip buckets. Water was dipped from the ocean and emptied at the site of the forest fire. You guessed it. One minute, the diver was swimming like flipper in the Pacific Ocean, and the next... He was falling from 300 feet out of the bucket onto the forest fire. Some days it just don't pay to get out of bed. Here's one. A man was working on his motorcycle on his patio. This is something that could happen to me, Shane. His wife nearby in the kitchen. Well, after he got it fixed, he got on his bike to test it out, and he was sitting there racing the engine, and the motorcycle accidentally slipped into gear. And the man, still holding on to the handlebars, was dragged along as it burst through the glass patio doors. His wife heard the crash, ran in the room. She found her husband cut and bleeding, the motorcycle, uh, and, of course, the shattered patio door. She called for an ambulance, and because uh, the house sat on a fairly large hill, uh, she had to go down several flights of stairs to meet the paramedics and escort them to her husband. Well, while the attendants were loading the husband, she picked the motorcycle up, pushed it outside, and she got several paper towels and blotted up the spilled gasoline that he had, uh, when the motorcycle had turned over, and she just simply tossed them in the toilet in her husband's bathroom. Well, after being treated and released, the man returned home. He looked at the patio door, the damage done to his motorcycle, and he went into the bathroom and consoled himself with a cigarette while attending to his business. About to stand, he flipped the butt of the cigarette between his legs. The wife, who was in the kitchen, heard a loud explosion and her husband screaming, finding him lying on the bathroom floor with burns and his trousers burnt. Well, what'd she do? She called for an ambulance once again. And the same paramedic crew was dispatched as the first time on the same day. Well, as the paramedics carried the man down the stairs to the ambulance, they asked the wife, how in the world did he burn himself? Well, she told them. Well, one of the paramedics started laughing so hard that he slipped, the stretcher fell, and he dumped the husband out who 
fell down the steps, ended up breaking his arm in the process. Sometimes it just pays to stay in bed. I'll tell you one more. Um, Two animal rights protesters were protesting at the cruelty of sending pigs to the slaughterhouse in Bonn, Germany. So they ran up to where they kept all the pigs just before they were to go to the slaughterhouse and open the gate to let the pigs loose and hollered at them. But instead of running the other way, the pigs turned around and run toward them, all 2,000 pigs, and trampled them to death. These are real news stories. I'll tell you one more, and it's a short one. Iraqi terrorist uh, K. Rajanet uh, sent a package bomb and didn't pay enough postage on the bomb. Well, it came back with a return to sender, but it had took so long that he forgot what it was. He opened the bomb, and you guessed it, blown to bits. The more things change, the more they stayed the same. Now, every one of these things I read tonight were people that had problems, some big problems. But the Corinthians church had even bigger problems. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, beginning at verse 1, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth the law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go uh, to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this church. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name. We've opened up and read your word as we gather together as your people in the house of God. And Father, I pray that you'd take these truths and bind them to our heart just as they're bound to yours. And God, may we live them out in a way that brings you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. The Corinthian church, as we've talked about, was a church filled with problems, filled with troubles, difficulties, there were factions, there were schisms, some were Paul, some were Apollos. There was problems with pride, problems with wisdom, uh, problems with jealousy in the Corinthian church. We've gone over a lot of those uh, things. 
As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians is 15 chapters, and it's really 15 chapters about a church, just like these stories that we read. There's one problem right after another. And not only did they have problems with the schisms, the divisions, the philosophies, they had problems with sexual immorality. They had problems of a man living with his stepmother. And Paul wrote and said, man, those things ain't even done in the Gentile uh, world. They had problems that we've not even began to hint on uh, yet. The getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, problems with the spiritual gifts that they were misusing. Problems with divorce. And of course what we read tonight, problems with lawsuits. Christians uh, in the church, that were, what they were doing was suing other Christians um, that were in the church with them there in the city of Corinth. And they was not supposed to be uh, doing that. Uh, and God tells them in His Word exactly how they're supposed to handle that situation. Uh, the Bible is a very practical book. It is theological. It is philosophical. Uh, it is history and all of those things. But it's got principles in it and it's got commandments in it. And it's uh, practical uh, teaching about how we're to live and how we're to act and interact and react. And it speaks in chapter number 6, directly to the issue of lawsuits. So what's God have to say about that? Well, he says, as a rule, as a general rule of thumb, as a principle, Christians are never to sue or go to court in a secular civil court against another Christian, as a general rule. Now I want to stop right there and say this. Um, the Bible lays out principles, but it does not give us every single example. We know uh, that the Bible doesn't tell us that a Christian is to never go to court. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, when he was uh, charged falsely, and he was took before Felix, and you know, and what did Paul do? He appealed to the civil courts of Rome, because as a Roman citizen, his rights uh, were being uh, taken away from him, so he appealed to a civil court. So I don't believe the Bible's teaching that a Christian should never go to court or that a Christian should never go before civil authorities to try to right a wrong. I do believe what it's teaching us here in 1 Corinthians, that as a rule, as a principle, a Christian is never to go to court against or to sue uh, another Christian. And then as we look at this chapter number 6, we can see six reasons why we're not supposed to do that. Uh, six reasons why a Christian's not to go to court against another Christian. Rule number one, taking a Christian to court refutes the wisdom of the Word of God. Right there in verse number six, verse, or chapter number six, verse one, Paul said, Dare any of, you, any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Uh, when a person sued, uh, in a pagan court, a secular court, it refutes the, the wisdom of God. Now, to understand this, we've got to understand what's going on in the culture at the time and what's going on in Corinth. Uh, Paul came from a Jewish background. And, of course, we know at that time the Jews were under the authority of Rome. And Rome basically gave the Jewish people some autonomy in how to deal with civil matters or in dealing with civil matters. As long as they paid their taxes and didn't do anything against Caesar and didn't rebel against Caesar, Rome said, all right, what you can do is 
you can have uh, uh, courts of your own. And of course, you've heard of that, the Sanhedrin, right? The 70, the high court of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people would never uh, go to a court against another Jewish person in a Roman court. They would always go, uh, if there was a dispute or something wrong, they would do this amongst the Jewish people and ultimately it would go all the way to the Sanhedrin and they would uh, uh, judge that matter. Now, how did they do that? Well, when they went before the Sanhedrin, they were experts in the law, the Word of God. So they would take what was the evidence, what was laid out, and they would weigh that evidence. What would they weigh that evidence against? They would weigh that evidence against the principles taught in the Word of God, and they would pass judgment. Well, we have something even far better than that today. We've got the total, complete canon, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the writings of the prophets, and then the writings of those that had walked with, saw, and talked with Jesus, literally heard the words of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And what Paul's saying here is, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not uh, before the saints. He's literally here using a word, a strong word, dare. How dare you, you people who have the word of God, you people who have the law of God and the principles of God and the wisdom of God, take a matter, uh, and, and let me say this, anybody, I've said this before, anybody that's in this room that's been married any length of time, no length of time knows that no matter how much you love somebody, how much you care about somebody, if you live with somebody and you're around somebody long enough, there's going to be a dispute. Amen? I, uh, me and Shane went to church with a man and woman. They'd been married something like 45 years. And they used to tell everybody that in 45 years they'd never not one time been in an argument. And I always said, number one, either they're lying. Number two, they've had the most boring marriage in the history of mankind. Uh, and I don't believe that the second one was true. So you go from there. You can't live with somebody that long and not have some kind of uh, dispute. Well, it's the same in the house of God. Yes, we're to love each other and we do love each other and uh, we understand we're on the same team, but there's going to be disputes. And what Paul was saying here is when those disputes come, then you're to handle that thing inside the house of God based on the wisdom of the Word of God. The Bible gives us the principles and the, and the wisdom that, that's laid out so that we don't have to... Go, in, there's not many records of Corinth. It was destroyed and uh, uh, we don't really have a whole lot of historical records of what's going on. But in the city of Athens, we actually have a lot of historical documents about what was going on at that time. And it was common at that time for, it was almost like entertainment. People would sue each other, take each other to court, and they'd get these big juries together, six, seven, eight, nine hundred people. And they would hear the case, they'd air that thing out publicly with all of those things hearing it, and then at the end, they'd take a vote and the majority would rule. Uh, based off the wisdom, without uh, applying uh, or, or looking towards any um, uh, method or any higher uh, wisdom than what people could conjure up themselves. And Paul understood that the Corinthians were living in that context where people were airing out their dirty laundry in public. Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing 
as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, if the Word of God is able to judge even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, uh, I believe the Word of God is able to judge and give direction uh, to two Christians who don't see things eye to eye. Two Christians who may not be getting along. Two Christians who may have a case against uh, uh, one another. So, when we take another Christian to court, we're denying the authority, the wisdom of the Word of God. Uh, I know what people say. Well, the Word of God don't answer every question. Amen. I grant you that. But what it does do is gives print, give the, gives the principles for every situation we'll encounter in life. Uh, let's say, for instance, I'm driving down uh, the road and the posted speed limit's 65 miles per hour. Well, the Word of God does not tell me that I'm not supposed to drive over 65 miles per hour, does it? No word. They didn't have cars then, right? But what it does tell me is I'm to obey the civil authorities. That's the principle that tells me that I'm supposed to obey the 65 mile an hour speed limit. I'm, I'll give you a story uh, that happened when we were at Caswell several years ago. Uh, we'd went to Caswell. And uh, the, the thing that year was we've got a nap for that. And uh, the speaker, who was uh, some like a real high person at I think Southwestern Seminary or whatever he was over the like the dean of student ministry there or something what he was doing was he was having the children the youth down there that week text him questions uh, and then he would answer those questions publicly they would text them to him and he got some good questions and one of the children texted this man the question is it wrong to get a tattoo now, I'm not talking about tattoos, all right? I'm not talking about tattoos. I'm talking about principles laid out in the Word of God. So the man stands up in front of a thousand students, right? That's, about, that's how many is there every week at Caswell and all the leaders. And here's what he said. It's not wrong to get a tattoo. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say it's wrong to get a tattoo. Well, number one, that's not correct. Leviticus chapter 19 says not to get tattoos. But he could have said that and made the argument that that's the Old Testament and we live under grace in the New Testament. And I, I okay, I can't refute that argument if he said it that way. Uh, but he didn't. He just said the Word of God don't say it's wrong to get a tattoo, so there's nothing wrong with getting a tattoo. Well, that disturbed me greatly. So as soon as that thing was over, I went to him. And I said, sir, You've just damaged the parental authority for a thousand children that are here this week by what you said. You see, while the Word of God may not say that it's right or wrong to get a tattoo, remember I didn't address the issue of what Leviticus 19 said. I said the Word of God clearly lays out the principle that children are to obey their parents. And what you should have said when you got up there was, it doesn't matter if the Word of God says this. The principle of the Word of God says, Children, obey your parents. 
You see, in the Rose House, now I'm not addressing anybody in here, so if you've got tattoos, I'm not talking bad about your tattoos. In the Rose House, it's a sin to have a tattoo. My children better not get one while they live in the Rose House. They better not get one after they move out of the Rose House. (laughs) But what I am saying is, if we look at the principles laid out in the Word of God, it addresses every single issue. The principle there is children, obey your parents. That was the greater principle that should have been addressed when that was asked by a child how they're supposed to behave in their home while they're living with their parents. So we can say the Bible doesn't address certain issues, but what it always does is address the greater principles. And there's no um, situation that will ever come up in life that the Bible does not address the broad principle of how we're supposed to do that. So as Christians, we've got the principles uh, uh, to handle every single problem, not in the courts who are dealing with human wisdom, who are dealing with secular wisdom, who are dealing with, Paul's done talked about that, the best men have to offer as far as wisdom goes is not good enough to get us into the, uh, the family of God or the kingdom of God, but we have that and are able to hold that in our hand. So what Paul's saying, when we've got a problem with each other, we ought to handle that thing uh, in-house, go to the Word of God, find out the principle that's found in the Word of God, and then figure that thing out inside the house of God because when we go outside the house of God, it denies the wisdom of the Word of God to a lost and dying world. Second reason. Not only does it refute the wisdom of the Word of God, but it rejects the lofty standing God has planned for our future. Look what it says in verses 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world uh, shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life. Now the Bible's very clear. The saints, us Christians, those that have been born again into the family of God, are one day going to literally, not just figuratively, but literally rule the world and the universe with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said, if the world's judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest matters, the smallest disputes, the smallest conflicts? Uh, an argument from greater to uh, uh, lesser. Uh, kind of like this. You remember the story of there in Luke 19. I believe just a few weeks ago I read this uh, on a Sunday morning. And the master was going to go away and he, he made one person, gave him a certain amount of money and put him in charge of this amount and gave another one a certain amount and then he gave another one a certain amount and he went away and then he come back and he said, hey, what happened? What would you do uh, with this while I was gone, and the one said, well, I turned five to ten, one turned two to four, and then the one, he didn't do nothing with it. And But to the two, uh, the master, when he come back, he said, well, you've been faithful over these small things. I'm going to make you faithful over bigger things. And to the other one, he said the same. You've been faithful over this. I'm going to make you... Uh, um, ruler over these many things. And and that's the principle that Paul is laying out here. Literally, listen, saint, one of these days we're going to judge the world and if the world shall be judged by us, are we unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels. How much more things that pertain to this life. 
But you stop and think about the awesome power of angels. When when God called down uh, judgment upon Sodom and judgment upon Gomorrah, one angel breathed out judgment and cities were destroyed. I I think about that army that was attacking Hezekiah, 85,000 strong. And God sent one angel and destroyed the whole army. And God's placing us in such a position and given us such responsibility, exalted us to such a place that one day we will literally judge those angels. And what he's saying is, church, if you're going to judge angels, you're going to sit on the throne uh, uh, with Christ and rule and reign in the universe forever and forever. Can't you at least take care of these small matters in the house of God using the wisdom of God through the Word of God. You see, not only does it refute the wisdom of the Word of God, but it literally rejects the standing that God has planned for my future and your future when we go to court with an unbeliever. The Bible says we'll rule and we'll reign with Christ. So, denies the high position that God has plan for our future. Reason number three, and this is probably the biggest reason that a Christian is not to go to court against a, another Christian uh, that Paul lists here. Uh, because it ruins our testimony before the world. Look what he says right here in verses four through six. If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Um, When a Christian takes another Christian to court, a civil court, you're going to have a judge over the case who doesn't have anything to do with the church or the church uh, of, of God. Brother in front of brother, in front of unbelievers, and that's a terrible testimony. Uh, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, And you shall be my witnesses, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness. Uh, Our number one responsibility, the number one reason that God leaves us here is so that we will be witnesses. Witnesses of what? His grace, His mercy, His love, His power, all that Jesus Christ is and all that he's done for us so that we will be witnesses before uh, the world. And when we go before unbelievers with disputes, we're destroying that testimony and that witness. That's why Paul says, look, surely there's somebody in in the house of God when you've got judgments of things pertaining to this life, matters, disputes, uh, God thinks so much of the church that you're to set to judge uh, over that the person who's the least esteemed in your church. And to the Corinthian church, he says, look, you're not doing that, so I'm speaking to your, sh- uh, to your shame. There's got to be a wise person among you that's able to judge between his brethren and don't destroy your testimony by going to court before unbelievers. And... Matthew chapter number 5. Jesus giving his sermon on the mount there at the beginning. And Matthew chapter number 5, he says what? You're the salt of the world. 
And we know that salt flavors and we know that salt um, cures and we know that salt purifies and, and also salt keeps uh, something from going bad or something from spoiling. But Jesus then goes on and says, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it anymore? And in a sense, if Christians take their disputes and air them out before a lost world, what they're doing is they're losing their saltiness, their ability to purify, their ability to, to cure, their uh, ability uh, to preserve, and their ability to protect. Jesus also said that you're the light of the world. And a person doesn't take a light and hide it under a, a bushel or a, under a basket. They put a on a lampstand so that that light shines before men. And then he goes on to say, so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father uh, who's in heaven. And when Christians do that before unbelievers, literally they're taking a bushel and putting over uh, that light and saying that Jesus is uh, not enough. Um, Romans chapter 2 verse 24 says for the this, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. You see, when the world looks at us and they see us um, living together in unity and peace, it's salt and it's light and it convicts them. Uh, but if we air our dirty laundry out in front of the world, it salt that's lost its saltiness and a light that's been hid under a a bushel. So reason number four, it rejects the principle of forgiveness and love. I'm going to read verse seven. Now, therefore, there's utterly a fault among you because you go uh, to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be uh, defrauded? What Paul's saying here, actually, it's already a defeat for you because you have lawsuits with one another. And I'm going to ask you two questions, Christian. Here's what Paul's saying. Why don't you rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Um, I read this story in Dr. Jerry Vine's commentary on 1 Corinthians. And he, he talked about one Christian who loaned another Christian some money with the agreement that he would repay that uh, money to him. Well, the Christian that had been loaned the money did not repay uh, so the man goes to the other Christian and, and said, hey, you're going to pay me my money. And he said, no, I'm not going to repay you money. So he did it the way the Bible says. He goes before the church and he tells the church what had taken place and that he had been wronged and this person not. And the church just ignored the problem and they said, we're not going to do anything about it. We're going to sweep it under a rug. Well, not long after that, the man that had been loaned the money um, receives a receipt in the mail. And written on the receipt uh, were the words paid in full with the amount of money that he had owed to the other fellow. Well, this shocked him so much, he picked up the telephone and said, why'd you send me that? He thought something was up with that. So he calls him and he said, why'd you send me that receipt paid in full? I've not paid you a dime of that money. He said, well, I did everything that I knew to do to try to get it back. I talked to you personally and said you wasn't going to pay and I took it before the church and that didn't do any good. So then I took it to the Lord in prayer. And while I was taking it to the Lord in prayer, he said, I'll judge between the two. 
I'll repay you the money that you've lost. So after I took it to the high court of heaven, Jesus said he'd repay. I simply wrote you a receipt. Pay in full. I think that's the principle Paul here is writing about. You see, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I, I know this is simple, and everybody in this room knows this. There's no, but sometimes it does pay to be reminded. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was still in pain. He was not yet dead. No doubt there was people still mocking him at that point. The Roman soldiers were probably still kind of jabbing him with their spears. He was so thirsty. I mean, he'd been hanging up there. And of course, the blood. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the greatest fraud and the greatest wrong and the greatest uh, uh, injury that another person could ever do was taking place upon Jesus while he was on that cross. And there he demonstrated us uh, to us and for us that principle of forgiveness and love. So when a Christian takes another Christian to court, it rejects that principle that Jesus so clearly demonstrated to us of forgiveness and love even while the wrong may still be going on. You notice Paul here didn't say Let's, who's right or who's wrong. He's not addressing that issue. He's simply saying, hey, when it's causing a problem and there's a chance that it might hurt the testimony of the church, that it might deny uh, the wisdom of the Word of God, it's better to suffer the wrong and be defrauded than it is to do damage to the testimony of God. Plato, not even a Christian, said this, the really good man will always choose to suffer wrong rather than to do wrong. So what's a Christian to do? We simply let go and trust God and, and trust that he will repay. And when God repays, he usually does it fourfold, tenfold, a thousandfold, a millionfold. And just like this person we talked about in the story, God sees and God knows. And when one person may get cheated over here, but God's going to take care of that thing and he's going to bless over there. So when a Christian's wrong, they don't take another Christian to court. They don't get on Facebook and start blasting the church and start talking about uh, the preacher, the people of God. We simply trust God that he's going to work things out because he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So when we go to court with another Christian, it rejects the principle of love and forgiveness. And finally and lastly, uh, it's a contradiction of the change that has taken place in the Christian's life. I'm going to close with this. Um, Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, when a Christian takes another Christian to court, it's a contradiction of that change that has taken place uh, 
in the believer's life. Verses 9 through 11 are some of the strongest verses in the Bible. Paul's saying, I want you to understand the miracle that God has performed in your life. And for you to be acting like this is a contradiction, a defection from the change that has taken place. He lists 10 of the most horrible sins that we can possibly imagine. But all it is is really a a roll call of what was going on in Corinth at that time. And Paul says, you don't have to act like that. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been uh, justified. He said, hey, you've been cleaned up of all that mess. You've been saved. But not only have you been saved, you've been set on a path of righteousness. You're being sanctified. And you've been declared innocent before God of all wrongdoing. Not just as if you'd never sinned. You've been declared that you have never sinned and all of that took place in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Here's basically what Paul's argument was. If we are among those who judge the universe, if we are washed, sanctified, and justified then we qualify to judge matters that belong inside the church and have no need for lawsuits outside of the church between Christians. Now, I don't know where you are tonight. I've never heard of a lawsuit, at least in Burke County, of two church members. Maybe there have been. Uh, I would say this. As Christians, our lives ought to reflect verses 11 instead of verses 9 and 10. I'm not going to go over and read those. You can read them. It's basically just painting a picture of Corinth, but in 2018, if Paul were to take a pen and write today, he'd be painting a picture of Burke County, North Carolina. And what Paul's saying is, y'all ain't like that. You've been changed. And, and when we refer to the wisdom of God and, and forgive and love the people of God, then we can be salt and light to those people without who do not have Him in their life and desperately need Him. So we're to simply live like God's in control, like we really do believe it. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. God, I don't understand all of that about 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter number 6. But God, I do know that you want us to get along and love each other and work things out among the people of God. So Father, I pray you'd give us the power to do that, the will to simply want to obey you, and that God, we'd live in such a way that the world could see that we have been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been justified, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, help us to do that. We're going to praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.